Hello and welcome to The Food Podcast, a show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food and today through community and friendship and dance. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Lauren Jerry is a dancer, a chef, and a visual artist, and she lives in New York City with her husband and dog Rita. I've been following Lauren for a long time on Instagram. I love the way she photographs her food. There are often close images plated in satisfyingly straight lines and pops of color and glossy fish eggs and feathery fennel fronds and creamy surfaces topped with swirls of hibiscus-tinged olive oil, like a lacquered blank canvas. These images look like paintings, a live painting, sensory paintings, and she helps you taste her food through the camera. I met Lauren in real life this summer at the yoga retreat, the one I talked about in the first episode of this season. The episode is called Balancing in the Middle. Lauren was our chef for the week, the magical chef who made the mussels with baby potatoes and green grapes, but more on that later. When Lauren arrived at the retreat, she set up her temporary larder in the kitchen of the old schoolhouse. She brought things like spices, oils, flowers, nuts and seeds, and her traveling toolbox, knives, tongs, a bench scraper, lemon juicer, rasps, spatulas, measuring spoons, an immersion blender. And each day she'd set out for ingredients and buy whatever caught her eye and whatever was in season at the end of August on the south shore of Nova Scotia. And whatever, I'd later learn, would make us feel comfortable and safe and nostalgic. When it was time to prep, Lauren would pull her hair up, take off her rings, and wrap a black apron around her leotard and track pants. She was choreographed and deliberate as she moved throughout the kitchen, but she was also ready, any time, to dance. A dancer in the kitchen. I spoke with Lauren last month online from her apartment in New York. It was such a treat to have time with an artist to find out what stories lie beneath their creations and what it takes to be an artist living in New York City. I know artistic expression is meant to be left to the imagination, but that's the beauty of this podcast, to have time with the creators and to ask questions. So with that, I began with Pat Benatar, and her 1984 hit, We Belong. God, I love that song. It was written by two estranged friends, Dan Navarro and his late songwriting partner, Eric Lowen. Dan said in an interview that he and Eric had been in a band together, but he was pulled in too many directions, so Eric kicked him out of the band. Dan was devastated. They didn't speak for six weeks. Then Eric called him one day and said, let's get together and write a song just for the heck of it. And Dan said he pulled aside his hurt feelings and 90 minutes later, they had written, We Belong. The song was a lamenting of an old relationship, but Dan said he wanted to get across that whether you agree or disagree, there are things universally bigger than us, light, thunder, and love. And the truth is, he said, that we belong together. The lyrics all came from there. 
That morning, Lauren was at a dance class in New York. Dancing to We Belong. That at least is what I gleaned from Instagram. I am not a dancer, but watching dance lights me up. So does this song. So was I right, Lauren? Were you dancing to that song just this morning? It's this teacher that I take every week on Monday and Wednesday. And, you know, the class size varies. And today it was jam-packed and it was filled with a really great community of dancers. And so, I mean, we did across the floor to be like to Destiny's Child, Can You Pay My Bills? And then we danced to that. I was like, okay, this is a good day. This is a good dance day. I had to ask what crossing the floor meant. I've learned it's an exercise in dance class where dancers perform the same move one after the next across the floor. A repeated action. I imagine it's like mise en place in the kitchen, prepping the vegetables, chopping one onion after the next, then moving on to another vegetable until you're warmed up and ready. Lauren grew up in Southern California and came to New York to go to college and to pursue a career in dance. Food weaved its way into her story. She worked as a cook and lived and cooked in Italy, then eventually started a catering business with her best friend Flannery, and they ran it together in New York and many places around the world for 17 years. She's worked as a private chef for Marc Jacobs, and for a long time, dance was something she used to have to squeeze into her work week. But now at 40, work squeezes its way around dancing. You know, I think for me, dance is really joyous because they're like cooking. There's technique that you establish, and there's a, a vocabulary, a library that you continue to, you know, grow, I think, and, and pool into. And that eventually starts to give you this like freedom and flexibility. And so, you know, I can, when people are like, oh, cooking relaxes me. Like, I don't feel that way. Cause like cooking is definitely something I get, I can meditate in it. It can become meditative, but dancing relaxes me. Dancing can really change my neurological homeostasis. I can really channel emotions or, and as someone who like tips towards the like glass half full as at like by nature, dance is a good way for me to sometimes get through the stuff where I'm like feeling negative or glass half empty or like, why me? Or why is this happening or whatever? That's where I can funnel those sort of agitating emotions shouldn't go into cooking food. (laughs) And I've noticed whenever Lauren is dancing or cooking, in addition to Flannery, there are usually friends at her side, like Tommy, who assisted her in the kitchen at our yoga retreat, who too was always dressed in dance clothes, ready to cook and ready to yoga and ready to move. Or Marissa Compatello, her partner in dancing and in friendship, and the friend who she started Moves Pure Joy with. But more on that later. I think I have, I do a really good job at having very close friends and remaining close with them for a long time. Um, Have I always had a bestie? I'm not like that sort of girl who's like, this is my best friend. Um, 
I don't think it was really until I met Flannery where I was like, oh, this is my soulmate. This is my equal. This is somebody who like, like we connected in a very organic way, but also in a way where like when I first met her, I was kind of like, huh, you know, she was interesting to me and I was curious about her, but it was really like our shared, our shared interest, our common um, passions that ultimately brought us to being best friends. And I'm super thankful for her. And I'm also, I'm very good at partnerships. <laughs> I've been with my now husband for a long time and Marissa and I, who I teach moves with, have known each other since I moved to New York, you know, a long time ago. And Flannery and I have been, you know, partners and best friends. So I, I do a good job at like finding really awesome people and holding on tight. <laughs> I remember one evening during the retreat last summer, I think it was the night when we had white beans braised in a garlic broth and grilled swordfish seasoned with za'atar. And Lauren filled a bag with torn romaine and added a citrus vinaigrette and then shaked the bag like she was mixing a cocktail. Such a genius cooking hack for a crowd like ours. Anyway, that night, as we watched this culinary show from the sofa, next to the spread of cherry tomatoes and nuts and dates and pretzels and grapes and carrots and all those beautiful bowls of food, we talked about jobs we had had, and my time at Books for Cooks came up, the cookbook store in Notting Hill where I worked for a few years in my late 20s. Books for Cooks has a red awning outside and a red door to the left of the awning with a little bell that jingles whenever the door opens. There are 10,000 cookbooks inside that narrow shop, organized by country and in some areas by types of cuisine. Desserts were in the back on the left and party food on the left in the middle. Food writing near the front on the right by the till. But always, special diet books were kept behind the front door, just as you walked in. Legend has it that Clarissa Dixon Wright, who used to own the shop, sat on a stool behind the till, holding court, and firmly believed that anyone who was a vegetarian or had an intolerance of any kind deserved to be squished behind the door. So that's where those books were kept. Times have changed, of course. Special diets are the norm, and I think that section stretches now all along the wall, but it wasn't like that then. Clarissa Dixon Wright was one half of the Two Fat Ladies, the British cooking show that aired from 1996 to 1999. I loved that show. The Two Fat Ladies were Clarissa, a British barrister by trade, and Jennifer Patterson, an author and actress, and together they would travel to a location in a motorcycle and a sidecar with their provisions in a wicker basket strapped to the back. And the locations were random. They cooked for monks and monasteries and nuns and convents and boys in private schools at the Brazilian consulate in London and at a pub in Cornwall. Jennifer was always in huge black glasses with her hair pulled back into a little bun and her nails were always red. Clarissa was frumpier. Her hair spilled onto her face while she mixed eggs or chopped onions. 
and she lumbered around the kitchen extolling opinions on the history of an ingredient, while Jennifer might put a metal chinoise on her head and break into the Wizard of Oz's If I Only Had a Heart. They were enchanting and opinionated and practical. They finished one episode on a beach in Cornwall, peeling mussels off a rock at low tide and collecting them in their motorcycle helmets. Anyway, so there was Lauren shaking her bag of lettuce, telling me about her love of the two fat ladies. She was watching them as a kid in California, watching two friends, working together, having the best time, laughing, and delighting in each other, and being themselves. And I I really just became totally immersed in the personalities that were presented to me. And I really loved their dynamic because they clearly knew what they were talking about. They had this wide, um, this bandwidth of knowledge in the food industry that like I had never really seen or witnessed. And then also I like loved that they went to all these obscure places and they were these like hysterical women and you know the teeter-totter back and forth between them being on location cooking for these people to then being back in the kitchen and their dynamic and their stations and their styles of cooking and what each of them was cooking was very different um and I loved that duality which later would present itself in my life when my best friend and I started well, when we first met and then grew into best friends and business partners. But, you know, I I couldn't have known that then. <laughs> I love them because they made me laugh and I they made me want to like try these like crazy things. I was making, you know, beef wellington at like 11 and, you know, sometimes great successes and most of the time great failures that I was into being like, wow, this is not what it looked like when they did it. But learning through that. I asked Lauren which fat lady she identified with the most and which one was Flannery. We probably are both. We probably are both in different ways because they were both kind of sassy. And, you know, I think that, I don't know, it was the, it was the like beauty of their, of their dynamic and their banter that I think ultimately I, I saw what it meant to put yourself into food and how people reacted to it. That was, I think that was the coolest thing. The banter, the conversation, I'm learning that happens in dance as well. Earlier, Lauren mentioned Moves Pure Joy, a dance class she teaches with another longtime friend, Marissa Compatello. I've watched snippets of the classes on Instagram. It's a true voyeuristic experience for me, a person whose dancing career stopped at the Highland Pling in grade five. My moves are limited, but for those dancing with Marissa and Lauren, the joy is real. So I asked Lauren how moves came about. Moves is an all-levels dance class that I teach with my long-term, very close friend, Marissa Compatello. And um, you could call her a best friend <laughs> if you wanted. Um, 
We were inspired by our friend and teacher and choreographer, Ryan Huffington, who is based in Los Angeles and or now he's based in Joshua Tree, but for a long time was in L.A. And he used to teach this class called Sweaty Sundays that then grew into also Wet Wednesdays. And he had the studio named The Sweat Spot. And it was like... Marissa and I, I'm from California. I'm from Southern California. And Marissa would go back for work a lot. And we were going back for work together. And anytime we were in LA, we would always take Ryan's class. And we were dancing professionally together and auditioning and also like doing kind of the end of our professional career, I think, where we were both realizing like we're doing other things and focusing other ways. But like, why isn't there an all levels jazz class in New York? Like, there's nothing like this in New York. It's this whole collective of people who are like professional and amateur and like really bad, but love to dance. Like everyone is coming in and having this experience in this space together that is pure joy. It's an explosion of pure joy. So with Ryan Huffington's permission, Lauren and Marissa started Moves. They followed Ryan's format. They danced on Sundays to older songs, and that was before Instagram. It was just word of mouth through texting and emailing. And moves just wasn't taking off. And they realized that Sundays are hard for people, and maybe old songs aren't the right fit. And then Lauren and Marissa took a friend break. She says they were just not communicating on the same wavelength. So they pressed pause on moves. But then, after some time they decided to try again. There were a few factors that helped them this time. The right studio, Instagram, word of mouth, people posting online, and the partnership she had with Marissa. It was basically a Pat Benatar, we belong moment. It has just continued to grow and expand from that point on because it is um, an experience of pure joy for everybody that comes. It's hard to imagine. And I think a lot of people get stuck before they come, <laughs> get stuck in the, the intimidation of it. The like, I have to go to a class. I have to learn choreography. What does all levels mean? All the stuff. And then they come and they realize, oh, this is a space for people who love to move their bodies, who also want to express emotion through movement, even if it's off counts and like wrong and wrong direction. And, you know, we always say there's no wrong. You just have to like want to do it. And so I think it's like been this natural progression and, you know, thing, all the things happen. Quarantine happened and, the dance community came together in a different way. And so like after that, the appreciation for being together and for moving together and for feeling that togetherness was even more elevated and intensified. And there was like a special place for it. And so now the level that it's at is just, you know, that sort of, um, magical moment of her and I constantly looking at each other and being like, can you fucking believe this? All these people come here just to like be with us and, and find joy. Like the search for joy is real. And when you basically hand it to people on a fucking silver platter, it's the coolest gift ever. It blows me away. It's really, it's the thing that I like look forward to the most. <laughs> In the first episode of the season, I shared a poem by Alden Nolan called The Second Show. 
The poem touches on the energy people hold before an event compared to after, that sense of wonder and unknowing versus the knowing. Nolan captures this feeling by placing us in the lineup of a late show at a movie theater, where we stand unknowing and watch the excitement of those who spill out of the early show. They're filled with the knowledge of the movie and filled with what they've experienced. I asked Lauren what the energy is like in the studio before a moves glass versus after. Any space that you enter, the beforehand, like whether it's a restaurant before service or a gallery before an opening or an auditorium before a show, there's a knowingness that something's going to happen, that like the energy will be filled. And so there's an anticipation towards it, but it's very focused. Like what has to be done? Let's go over things. Let's fix things. Let's like tidy up the studio and all that stuff. And then it's really when we can start to hear people gather, that's the next thing we're like, oh my God, people are actually showing up for our class. This is amazing. (laughs) And then, you know, we let them, we turn music on and we let everybody in. Then you can start to be like, okay, this is happening. We're doing this. And once the music starts, it's the transformation is just, it, it reminds me of like being on an elevator in a really high building. And then, you know, so it's just like this whole thing and you can feel it. You can feel the energy rising and rising and rising until you get to the top and you're just like, what the fuck? We're, you know, we're like in the sky. This is amazing. It's like the coolest thing. Allowing, inviting people to scream and cheer on other people. It's so cool. It's like going to a marathon where you're on the sidelines and you're, if you've ever done that, it's like, until you do it, you can't understand that energy of just watching all these people run together for different reasons, but the same reasons. And like on the sidelines, you're just like, you're doing it. Yes. Like you've worked so fucking hard. And like, it's the same thing in moves. You know, we're by the end of it, when we're watching everybody, we're just like, oh my God. I'm like the biggest stage mom. Everyone makes fun of me. Whenever I'm videotaping, I'm always just like, you know, like it is crazy. It's vibrational. I tear up when I'm cheering on runners in a marathon. I can't help it. I'd be a mess at moves. Lauren mentioned Ryan Huffington. He's the choreographer and dance teacher behind Sweaty Sundays and Grammy-nominated and MTV-winning choreographer for Sia's video Chandelier. Huffington has a TED Talk called How Dance Can Unleash Your Inner Joy. He says that during the pandemic, he hosted Zoom dance classes for his friends, and soon thousands were turning up. He turned isolation into a community, and like Lauren, he invited everyone of all abilities to turn up. We have our own beautiful ways of moving, he says, and this is worth celebrating. Huffington also says that dance is everywhere. Then he asks the question, how are we sitting right now? Are both feet grounded on the floor? Where are our hands? Are we rocking a baby or tying a shoelace? Because tying a shoelace can be a grand gesture and drinking a glass of water can be a stylized head release. We, the amateur dancers and the advanced, 
the ones who stopped when we were kids and think we can't dance because we're stiff and uncoordinated or have sore backs. We just have to become our own choreographer because, Heffington says, a world with more dance is a world with more joy. And we all know that we all need more joy right now. And look at that. I am in the kitchen whisking flour and butter over low heat and I add milk and I am making bechamel and my arms are moving and I am dancing. I am a dancer. And with dance comes community, something that Lauren has actively cultivated as a chef and a dancer and as a friend and as an artist. Community is... Maybe it's because I'm an only child. I don't know. But community to me is the air that we breathe. If you're not a part of at least one community, you got to find it (laughs) because it's like a success rate, a survival rate sort of thing. Like I think when you bring yourself to a community and when you allow yourself to be altered and lifted and enriched and supported by others be it like one other person or a hundred, a thousand other people, you're better off for it. You know, the world is better off for it. So I try to do, I think out of like my own need to feel okay, I'm constantly joining communities (laughs) or creating them. (laughs) Let's go back for a minute to the beginning where Lauren is cooking for us in the schoolhouse when we were served mussels with baby potatoes and grapes in a rich broth, because this is where Lauren as a chef and Lauren as a dancer intersect. It was quiet at first. We were all getting to know each other. The energy was wonder, curiosity, and questioning. And at times like these, like the beginning of a dance class, Lauren says it's important to make people feel a certain way, safe or nostalgic or wowed which is always dependent on the place where she is cooking. You know, it's, especially you experienced it in Nova Scotia. We had such a wide array of temperature and um, weather variations. You know, it was important to make certain dishes on certain days at certain times of the day, because that's what would, that's what would feel the best. And ultimately that's, that's what I want. I oftentimes use nostalgia as like the root of um, building something because I do think it's important to offer comforting elements, familiar entities that people can attach to so they feel safe. And that enables them to be a little bit more free with their exploration or, or how they're experiencing um, which is hard to build safety in like a short amount of time. Um you know, that's why like certain restaurants are so successful for so long because it's not always about the food. It's that like people know that they can go there and have a certain thing and have a certain experience with not only the food, but all the staff and uh, the environment. And I think that, you know, at a yoga retreat, it's important to establish that right off the get go so that people feel taken care of. So she began with mussels purchased at a local fish shack. You know, we've all had mussels in broth. Like everyone at this point, for the most part, has had that. And we all know what to expect. But what we don't know what to expect is you change the flavor of the broth 
right? And you add in certain herbs and ingredients that give it a unique nuance to the area that we're in. And then I added these beautiful heirloom baby potatoes, which like we've all had that before, but these were special because they're from there and they're unique to the area. And then the addition of the green grapes is really that whole theory of balance in a dish. You always want to have, you know, this, you want to create some sort of homeostasis in, in one bite, which is You want texture and acidity and salt and that comfort, you know, that is often associated with a fat or something rich like that. Obviously, the the temperature matters as well. But that is really just that thing where it's like it does. It's not about the grapes and the potatoes and the mussels and that they're all together. It's about that moment of being like, wow, this in my mouth is doing exactly what it should. All of the textural experiences are immediately intertwined with the aromas and the mouthfeel. And those are the things that make you go back for more, you know. It's just like music. If a song just like comes at you with like intense lyrics and intense percussion and an electric guitar and like everything is turned up so that there's no balance, then you're not going to enjoy it. It's going to sound cacophonous like immediately. But when there are these moments of like building and, you know, softness paired with intensity, whether it's like movement or flavor, that's like ultimately what we all want. We don't want somebody to just like, you know, squeeze us all day. We also want them to like play with our hair and like kiss us on the neck, you know, like (laughs) at least that's what I want. (laughs) And this is why I am learning. You start a dance class by crossing the floor before you get into the heart of the choreography. You have to warm up before you can crush it with We Belong. Thank you, Lauren, for showing us how to build community and friendship and food and flavor and dance. All these things are interconnected and they all have the capacity to bring us joy. You can find Lauren on Instagram at Lauren Jerry or at Moves Pure Joy. This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by Jen Grant. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review the food podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And consider signing up for my newsletter. It's called Food Stories. The link is in the show notes, or you can head to lindsaycameronwilson.substack.com. We'll be back in a few weeks, where an Irish bed and breakfast owner tells her story and teaches me how to properly make a bed so it stays as fluffy as a souffle. And whatever you do, do not press down. No, no pressing. Right? Um, so. It's like a sponge. Yes. 
A souffle. That's it. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Very good, Lindsay. Very good. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Wilson.